This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And welcome back to the podcast. This is going to be part two of our look into scoring, rating, the rise of Skywalker. And how we're doing this, we've got a screener copy of the movie and I am imagining... Chapter markers, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming chapter markers, and I am rating each of those independently from the other parts of the film because I've got this weird thing with The Rise of Skywalker where some parts of it I, I really... Some plot twists I, I really don't like, but then a lot of the rest of the film I really enjoy watching and... Um, have a lot of love for. So whilst I don't actually think this is the proper way to like review your enjoyment of a film, um, I thought it'd be an interesting project to uh, see if in parts the good outweighs the bad. So this is going to be the second act of the film. If you uh, haven't heard the uh, the first act podcast, perhaps if you like me, if you like continuity, go back and check that one out. There's also a all access Patreon bonus Q and A show where I reply to a lot of your comments about the first show, and that's up on all the feeds. Um, every third episode of that, I um, it's normally Patreon exclusive, but every third one I make open to you guys to um, keep you in the loop, or you guys that aren't on the Patreon, that is. And I just want to give also a huge shout out to everyone that uh, tweeted or messaged or on the Patreon left a message uh, with feedback about uh, the last episode doing Act 1 and the format of this show. Um, It's, uh, yeah, a little bit experimental in uh, a a way to to review a movie. And some people want to see us do it of all the films. And and we'll see. I've I've got some ideas on uh, how we could make that into something sort of uh, interesting to listen to each week. But uh, we will see. Where we left the film was on Pasana. Ray and Kylo had just had their face-off in the desert. Kylo's first TIE fighter of the movie is ruined. And then they have a little tug-of-war. A little pull-pull with the Force over the shuttle. And 
Ray ends up lightening it with the Force, and apparently the mighty Chewbacca has died. On the scoring tip, we are on... The scores are out of five, and we are currently enjoying this film at a level of 3.59, which, if you go on for whole scores, is a four. That rounds up, barely, to a, uh, a four, which is, you know, a thumbs half up. Three-quarter thumb, something. Uh, so, that is uh, interesting. And that was sort of the, the point of the whole thing, was to, you know, I, I wouldn't... Um, I don't know if my enjoyment of it as a whole, I would give it a, uh, a four. But uh, we'll see how we go. Okay, so the first chapter in Act 2, which I've titled in my notepad as Chewie's Fate, starts with some damn fine asteroids. Uh, Oshie's ship is uh, tucked into an asteroid, and asteroid effects have come a long way. They um, that, that really has some depth about it. So praise be to ILM and their 40 years of asteroid work. They've, um, they've never stopped improving. I, I, I feel like we've hit peak asteroid. I think we're in the era where asteroids, or may, maybe I will seem foolish. In 20 years' time, the asteroids will be even better. I've And, and I'm basing all my knowledge of what an asteroid looks like from previous ILM effects of what an asteroid looks like. So... There's that. So, Ray is mourning Chewbacca, looking at her hands, which um, now have an amazing ability to conduct static electricity, and is getting consoled by Finn. And Ray says she has to tell him something, or there's something that she doesn't that he doesn't know. And Finn's like, "Well, tell me." And did not every person watching that go, no, you tell her. You're the, we've already got, you've got an established secret. Tell her. And then uh, Ray says about the vision where he, she was on the throne of the Sith with Kylo Ren, which I've seen some pretty cool looking, um, you know, concept paintings of, of Kylo Ren on a throne with Ray next to her, um, with a, I think a double-ended red lightsaber or something. I don't know. But I saw some concept art for that, which I, I, I think is going to be in the Phil Stozak book, The Art of um, The Rise of Skywalker. Then we have a awesome shot of the Falcon being towed by three TIE fighters. I just love how it starts in the cockpit. And I don't know, it was just cool to see. Wait, we there's still something... So special about seeing these modern day shots of the Falcon, I think. I, I don't think we should um, take them for granted. I can remember the way we saw it twist and, and, and move in the, in the Force Awakens trailer. And it was just like, ah, the Falcon's moving like that. Because there was so much progress from Jedi to the Force Awakens. Some of that was in the prequels, but we never got to see you know a ship like the Falcon... Like, do that stuff. 
in the special edition that that that, that shot of the, him um, Han Solo taking off at uh, Moss Eisley just to get that sort of that new angle that was really sick. So let's a let's savor let's savor our shots of the Falcon because we might not be getting any for quite a while. Will the Falcon be in a movie in the next ten years? Then you have got Hux uh, bitching to Pride about uh, how the Knights of Ren ruin everything and the ship got blown up and, you know, Pride's read the report. He doesn't want to hear about it. Um, Such a, uh, like Hux is such an annoying corporate employee. He, uh, Hux would be a great character on Succession. Um, Let's get him in there. Just Hux. Let's just call him Hux. And um, no backstory. He just appears. He's the exact same character, played by Donald Gleeson. And um, maybe he'd be up to play Boar on the floor. And that's just a shout-out for my uh, succession homies out there on HBO. Amazing show. Amazing show. Um, It would be so cool to have that type of show, that dynamic and put a Star Wars skin on it and make them the head of a like a, a, a shipping company, like um, the Kuat Yards or whatever those things are called. But yeah, if you could adapt a, the story of succession with a powerful family all sort of fighting each other for power um, and, and put a Star Wars license on it, woof! Come on, Bobby I, fire up the Disney Plus. Give it to us. Then uh, Hux about faces with his dissing of the mission and sort of tries to take credit for a valuable prisoner, which, of course, turns out to be Chewbacca. Now, I don't know how I feel about this, the the fake-out death of Chewbacca, because... The film has so many fake-out deaths. And I don't mean, like, 20. But, like, for one film, there's a few fake-out deaths. Um, I, I believe this is the first one. I, I would count C-3PO as one. Um, you could count Palpatine as one. Um, you could count the snake, Kylo Ren... Ray, and then if you want to push it, you could also add uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo in there. But they're like that's within the realms of Star Wars. But what I'm saying, apart, all fine, together, it's a lot of fake out deaths for two hours and fifteen minutes or whatever how long this film goes for. But it is the um, JJ loves a fake out death, loves it. So we get the reveal that Chewie's alive. He um, does his hair-messing growl on Hux, which is uh, pretty sweet. Then we go back to our heroes on Oshi's ship. And I wonder... I always question when I've seen this if they should have revealed Chewbacca was alive so quick. Because then we get this scene on Oshi's ship and we get the, I think, 
the really fun and fascinating idea of 3PO knowing what it says on the blade, but unable to tell them due to the um, his programming and, and the Sith language. I, 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 I feel like that is a really like cool Star Wars-y development. And it is like radly frustrating how C-3PO, you know, as Poe points out, never stops talking and now he can't talk when they want to. I, I, I feel like that is a good reveal. Like, like he, C-3PO is done so well in this film. Like, I feel like that's a great conclusion. Almost. There's something that they, they could have ended his arc with even better. But I, I feel like this, this could be his best film. Um, pretty good in Star Wars. Probably the best in Empire because he works off Han Solo so well. Um, he really like their, their their banter is is really good. But this is up there, man. Good good showing for Anthony Daniels and C three PO. Ironically, though, um, him reading the dagger, him actually just saying what it says, that would only get them to that um, the Endor neighboring moon that uh, the Death Star is on and wouldn't help them actually find the Wayfinder um, because the dagger is needed for the, the little thing. It's like um, the Nazis in Indiana Jones, how they didn't have the right size stick um, in Raiders of the Lost Ark and they, they dug in the wrong area. Um, it's not like that at all. But anyway, I, I'll talk about that later on. Um, but then... Um, it's the plot develops that he could um, get hacked by a black market droid hacker or something. And Poe mentions Kajimi and doesn't want to go there because he's got uh, his bad vibes. And they decide to go there. And, and this is where the whole thing with Chewie's death, they don't know Chewie's alive and they're still mourning him. But then they sort of, it's like they act the scene like the actors know he's alive because it's sort of like comical where they're holding each other's hands and Poe doesn't want to hold their hands and they're like, for Chewie, then C-3PO sort of leans in and holds a hand as well. And I don't know, I just... Like, if he was dead, that would be played way too lightly for the film. But they don't know he's not dead. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm looking at it too deep, but I am reviewing each chapter by chapter. Then, um, they're up to Kamiji, uh, or Kimji, no, Kajimi, Kajimi, they're off to Kajimi, (laughs) um, and then we get to see that the Knights of Ren are stashed away in another asteroid. Boba Fett style. Jango Fett style. Well, I guess it should be Jango Fett. We saw Boba Fett do it first, but Jango Fett did it first. Um, does that happen all the time? In st- are people always just hiding? Is it hard to get anything done in private 
because someone's hiding behind an asteroid. It seems like a pretty commonplace. So that is the end of the chapter. Um, I don't know, like, there's parts I like, there's part, I, it just sort of leaves me blank. It leaves me confused, not confused about what's going on, but confused about the choices they make and, and the timing of the Chewbacca reveal. So it's kind of a, a numbing chapter. So, of course, that will get a three. All right, this chapter I have titled Ignite the Dio. Now, Dio, the little droid, Oshie's little droid. I had remarkably a little Dio hype going into it. I um, I feel like they like that was going to be the new little cute thing. Um, you know, your BB-8 or your Porg, but hey, Dio, you got Babu freaked, baby. Everyone was freaking out. But uh, I found Dio pretty endearing, in part because Jackie got Harrison, Jackie, my wife, got Harrison, my son, a Dio nightlight, and it's sort of like a life-size plastic Dio and he's got a little button, and at his little eyeball, it lights up Harry's room in a nice way. And so we use that every night to read Harry his books before he goes to bed. So because of the merchandising, I'm, I'm now extra endeared to Dio because he lights up our little special moments every night. Isn't that nice? Um, I'm mocking myself here because that's the only way I can deal with such um, sugary emotions. (laughs) But as uh, spoken about in the last episode, I love the way uh, BB-8 uses Ray's trick of of using her life force to um, inspire him to give Dio a little bit of a charge, and he gets going again. I think that's really sweet. Um, voiced by J.J. Abrams, which I do find annoying because it's just bugging me hearing his voice. Like, like because I'm sort of annoyed with him for his decisions in the film, I find his voice annoying. So if, he, if he'd voiced something in... If Dio was in The Fourth Awakens... I'm just being honest about my emotions here. Um... If that happened in The Force Awakens, I'd go, oh, that's so cool. It's it's uh, it's J.J. Abrams. It's really, it's really cool. Made the film. Awesome film. Love Dio. Voiced by J.J. Abrams. Great work. Isn't that cool? But because I'm sort of like annoyed with him because of the film, um, I'm like, ugh. Get Steve Stanton to do that. And, and you, you work on editing the story a little bit more. Come on. Help me out. And then we see the start of the ship going to Kamiji. And I have to say, it's Oshi's ship. And at our show at Celebration, where we reacted to the trailer, Anthony Bresnikan was adamant that that was the ship from The Force Awakens that Ray saw fly away. And other people were saying it was an A-wing. Um... Which, you know, we've we sort of seen A-Wings in uh, this era of Star Wars, so that's not, um, you know, not a big leap. But, yeah, I I didn't 
I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't even Brezikin. I trusted. I, uh, I, I thought he might have been uh, wrong on that one, but full credit to um, Anthony the Brez Breznikin. Now on uh, Kamiji. Now on Kajimi, there is uh, a lot of going up and down of stairs in the snow. It does look like it's snowing at Galaxy's Edge where they filmed that, which I guess is um, quite a credit to the the park of Galaxy's Edge that it looks like a um, a perfectly lit Star Wars set. And an Easter egg in here, I'm not sure how many people know, but Kevin Smith is uh, one of the... Uh, people sort of lurking, trying to hide from the uh, the First Order troopers. He's in there. Then Zori Bliss puts a gun to Poe's head. And I always find this weird. The dynamic sometimes between these characters is a bit weird. Finn seems annoyed at Poe that he's got a gun to his head. He's sort of like, what's going on here? But in a way that's not worried about Poe, that is annoyed at Poe. Like, and then Zori Bliss, who uh, rips it up, loves Zori Bliss, uh, reveals that they ran Spice. And, and Finn is just dealing with this so badly and in such a hypocritical way in that you loved Han Solo, the Spice smuggler. You just mourned and are doing this mission in honor of Chewbacca. The Spice Smuggler. So, don't, like, get your your space knickers into a space knot over this spice dealing. How, how bad a drug is spice, anyway? Like, is it your, um... Well, let's say it's not your alcohol, but is it, like, your marijuana, your, your cocaine, your heroin? What, what What are we dealing with here? And where does spice rate up against, uh, say, a death stick? You know, what's worse for you? What's worse for you? Can you do a little bit of... Um, it doesn't seem like you could do a bit of recreational death stick. <laughs> but maybe you could do a bit of recreational spice. I don't know. Poe says that he needs to see Babu Frick and explains why. And Zori Bliss is having none of this. She gives the word for her guards to move in. And then Ray cleans house with some super sweet Jakku-ish staff moves, leading to her in a face-off with Zori lightsaber to neck as Zori is on the ground pointing up her gun. And then we just get some brilliant Ray. Just, oh, so good. She's got the higher ground. She's got the lightsaber. She's the Jedi Knight. And she says, we could use your help, please. Says, please. Is Ray not the best? That's just, ah, there's something about, sometimes you get these little sugary, sweet Ray moments that I just love. Uh, then Zori Boyce says, I don't think you'll care or you might not care but I think you're okay. And then Ray says, I care. Ah, so good. Love Ray. So uh, we're going to have to give that one a four just for the, the rayness alone. All right. So in this scene, we are off to see Babu Freak. I titled this one, The Freak Out. 
So anyway, they go through a little bar on the way to Babu Freak and delightful. J.J. Abrams can do some, you know, he can sprinkle Star Wars in a scene very well. You can see a bunch of alien characters, one of which, I believe it was Hawes that informed me about this before I'd really chomped into the visual dictionary, is there's a uh, Dengar is in that scene that he's like turned himself into mostly an android now. He's all cyberneticed up um, and his head's all shriveled. And it was, uh, it, it's a cool little, I, I, I sometimes get annoyed at those sort of tie-ins. One of which that I was just like, Ugh, was um, that Phasma's metal, her suit was made from Padme's ship because it was both shiny metal. <laughs> so it, it has to be related. <laughs> They're both shiny. Has to be the same. Um, but I sort of enjoyed the uh, the story that is in uh, the Visual Dictionary about how Dengar got to look like that. Then they go to the bartender in the background. You can see a 2-1-B helmet, but no, focus on the bartender. And it's John Williams. And it looks like he's been scratched on the eye by a, a Fergan. Is that what they're called? In, in Captain Marvel, little goose, but he's got an eye patch. So a cool little Easter egg that's not too focused on. Um, it's a quick one. I'm not sure if like he's just made up better, so it's not such a blaring thing. I know some of the ones in um, like Attack of the Clones with uh, Anthony Daniels in that bar scene and, and Ahmed Best are a, a, a dash to lingered on. And then we get to the uh, the Babu Freak C-3PO scene where they're talking about um, the operation he has to undergo. And Ray asks about R2 storage, which excellent work, dropping that, um, that little plot hint later on into play. Um, I, I think they could have done it better. We'll talk about that then, how that um, comes out. So they set that up, and then things turn very serious when Ray says, you of all people know the risks, or something like that. And C-3PO looks off into the distance and says, if this mission fails, everything that we've fought for has gone to waste. Or And it sounds like Anthony Daniels talking a little bit there, unless C-3PO reminiscing about the 40 years. I might be projecting. But it's a beautiful line. And then he is staring at them. Poe says, what are you doing? And he says, taking one last look at my friends. Great. Like, you know, it was in the trailer and I I, I didn't know that C-3PO could generate such emotion from me. It, it's beautiful. Perfect. It's, yeah, so good. Then it zips back up to Kylo Ren. Um, he's heading down to find Ray, And then, needlessly, needlessly edit this out of the movie. It goes back to Babu Freak. And as he's about to turn C-3PO off, 
C-3PO desperately says, oh, there might be another way. And then it turns off and Bubba Freak starts laughing. Which sort of, like, we loved C-3PO in the previous scene because at the end of the day, after years of flailing about the galaxy, being worried about adventures and, and all that sort of stuff, he comes through for his friends and he's like, I'm going to do this for my friends. And then at the last second for him to want to bail out and then get turned off, it just, oh, it's just, the scene does not have to be in there. And I I feel like if possibly, if it wasn't Babu Freak in like that character, that the effect wasn't so adorable, perhaps they would have, um, bailed that out, but it just pops the bubble of C-3PO's sacrifice, which isn't even a sacrifice in the end. Serenity now. Serenity now. Um, it then pops up to uh, Poe and Zori Bliss on the rooftop having a conversation and they have a conversation about, you know, the captain's medal and, and going off to the colonies and, and Zori lifts up a visor to make a heartfelt plea for Poe to, um, to come with him to the colonies, I think. And I, I wish, and, and this scene plays out fine. Um, I wish they just kept their backstory plutonic. Um, you know, the, the scene at the end where he nods, like, to, you know, like, let's go, um, you know, hit up a, a two-person Y-wing and uh, see what goes on. Like, it, it's funny. But the whole real-world thing of people shipping Poe and Finn, Oscar Isaac, you know, said how that's where he would have liked to have taken the character. I even if they're not going to do it and do anything that confirms it, why do you have to do stuff to not confirm it? Just, ah, I don't know. Um, Anyway, I'm talking about these like, um, you know, representation in the films and and stuff like that. But then what really gets my goat, you guys, (laughs) is... And I am making fun of myself here. But it does really annoy me. Poe says that they sent a message out at the Battle of Crate and no one replied. And that they've given up. And then Zori Bliss says, they win when they make you think you're not alone. Why? Why? JJ, Chris Terrio, why can't she say the legend of Luke Skywalker is spread? The whole galaxy is seen, has heard what he did on Crate, and they're inspired. Like, you know, like it was like the ten, the Tenement Square. The, the the one person facing up to the giant army 
And, you know, in Luke's case, if, if there was a hollow bit of it, you know, maybe it was leaked out by someone in the First Order. I wonder who that could be. And it's rallied, it's, 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 be, it's been made a symbol. Because that was the whole point of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Broom Boy and his friends were inspired by the bravery. The legend of Luke Skywalker, which Luke Skywalker mocked at the start of the film when he said, am I meant to stand in front of the whole First Order with a laser sword? The fact that they didn't use the story point of Luke's act as as a, like a rallying thing for the galaxy to come together. Oh man, it 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 bums me out so much. Um, and as I said in the last episode this film is is a great follow-up and and tribute to the original trilogy the force awakens and that one sweet line that the emperor says in revenge of the sith i just wish that jj had embraced like that message and, and and put that into this film because not only would me, an ardent Luke Skywalker fan who like loved his arc in The Last Jedi, I, I think that the galaxy using that as a rallying cry and then that 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 that, that surge of adrenaline from you know, when they all arrive in hyperspace from hyperspace to save the day. And it's like, sort of, it's inspired by Luke Skywalker, like, like that adrenaline rush that fans that didn't like what happened to Luke Skywalker in the last Jedi, they might like it a bit more or dislike it a bit less. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if that plot point that they didn't like generates something that's so good later on, then maybe you forgive it a little bit more. But, oh man, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it really, like, I could get pretty YouTube over it, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. So, this, um, this chapter kind of, like, the C-3PO thing is brilliant. It's so good, but then it's deflated in the next scene, which I'm counting in the same chapter because I feel like I'm, I'm the, the, the timing I'm doing is is pretty much like the timing they do in, um, like, the amount of chapters I'm going to end up with. So, all in all, this, it like, the good thing of 3PO is let down by the, the next scene with Babu Freak and then just using like this sort of weird, like avoiding the Luke thing in um, the discussion with Poe and Zori Bliss. It's uh, yeah, I'm 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 going with a two, you guys. This one's getting a two. 
right, in this chapter called Sith Translation. So Ray puts it together that there was Oshi's ship that took off with her parents in the Force Awakens Force back. Now, um, I, I the, the whole timeline of Oshi, um, I, I just couldn't get it together why he needed to go to get the Wayfinder if he was under the instructions of Palpatine. So I, I put it out there on Twitter and I got some people throwing their hands up going, oh, it doesn't make sense. But some people did come through with a good timeline of events. So the whole Oshi needing the Wayfinder, because if he's under the instructions of Palpatine, then why can't Palpatine just send the directions to Exegol? Because Ray was able to broadcast that to Lando. However, Ray had the Wayfinder. So Palpatine maybe couldn't say how to get there exactly through that moor or, you know, didn't have the directions to get there. Which kind of makes sense. Um, Like the Star Destroyer had no problems getting to Kamiji, but maybe that's just going one way. I don't know. It's, I don't know, that whole more thing, it's, it's it's very odd considering when you think like a hundred thousand ships have to go through it at once at the end of the film. But yeah, Palpatine can't tell him where he is, where Exegol is, but knows there is a wayfinder on the star on the Death Star. And maybe through the dark side of the force can pinpoint exactly where it is. And then the little boffin gets it up on a knife, makes a little little, little knife and fork set for the Sith to have a snack. But, um, so that, that, that sort of clicks. It's very convoluted, but I do like, if it can be grinded through, um, I feel like, okay, well it, it does, it does fit rather than it doesn't make sense. Like I'm not saying it's not very complex, um, but it it can be massaged to uh, make sense. Then we get old red eyes, C-3PO, because it goes red because he's reading Sith, which leads me to believe that if he ever came to Earth and translated Gaelic, his eyes would go green. So... Why didn't his eyes go brown when he was translating Ewokese? Come on, I want some continuity. Let's um, let's go back and special edition his eyes every time he speaks a different language. Oh, don't! Why do I put that sort of stuff out there? Um, so there's his translation. Then the building shakes and Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer is there and Ray looks up to it and feels Chewie's life force, saying Chewie. Now, I think this should have been the audience's reveal that Chewie is alive. 
and it should have been like Chewy. I feel him up there. Then cut to him in binders and then some exposition how one of the shuttles got blown up, but we managed to get this prisoner. Um, then we could celebrate that he's alive. Like we're so happy that Chewie's alive. The same time that our heroes are celebrating it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like our emotions are, are played out like in the scene. That's why it always bugged me when um, Chewie and Leia didn't get to hug at the end of The Force Awakens because as an audience, we needed that that time, that sort of emotional cue to, um, you know, to mourn what, what, what it means that and what it means to our characters that um, our hero has died. And, and conversely, our hero is alive in this one and I, I think it would have been an awesome, like, upswing in um, the mood of the movie and to have Ray realise he's alive and then cut to him being alive and then the explanation. Uh, 3PO not knowing anyone and introducing himself to Babu Freak, like Babu Freak just saying, I'm Babu Freak. That's that's good banter. Again, you know, they, they did see 3PO right. And then the, uh, I don't know who this Chewbacca is, but this is madness going up there to try and save him. Thus concluding this, for me, kind of middle of the road chapter. So we will give that one a three. All right. So this chapter I have titled Chewie's Escape begins on Kamiji which I, I'm, I'm positive I've pronounced like 18 different ways in these podcasts, with uh, Poe telling 3PO, much to the chagrin of our friend Robbo, I think this is one of his complaints. It sounds like a Robbo complaint. Move your metal ass, which is a big contemporary, but... I could sort of see Han Solo or uh, Princess Leia saying that. I could see Princess Leia saying that to to 3PO. Anyway, Zori Bliss gives her First Order Captain's Medallion to Poe so he can succeed in rescuing his friend Chewie, which admittedly is very kind of her. And then Poe says, can I kiss you? Which, again, this... It's not, I don't know, is is, uh, is making Poe into some pick-up line dropping flying ace worth it? Um, I don't know, it just, it feels like they really had to establish that Poe Dameron was heterosexual. He was up for it, up for it, women only. I don't know, it just, the volume on that, it's just turned way too up. And, and, and that, again, it could be my... Uh, Well, I don't think it because I am feeling it. But other people might say it's me sort of reading too much into it. But it does sound like it's... ah, It's just there for... um, Just to make clear... Hetero. Hetero. They arrive on Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer and a very cool sort of 
breaking out of the ship's gangway with the uh, First Order troopers getting blasted. I, I, I love that. Very cool. None of this uh, A New Hope come in here and help out for a second and then we'll uh, get you off camera. Straight into it. Straight into it. And I love Finn's line of um, Poe says, which way? And Finn says, no idea, follow me. That's, that's some good Star Wars banter. Then it cuts to some First Order troopers trooping down a corridor with our heroes then appearing from the side little caverns in there amongst the bulkhead. And I don't know. From Star Wars A New Hope to now, these these roving troops of stormtroopers around their bases and, and ships and stuff, it doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem as a military strategy to be getting results. It just doesn't. Instead of having to march around, spread them out. Spread them out. Just have guards posted every 50 metres and, and, and let's see how that, that goes. Because, or at least when they're soldiering about, when they're trooping, look to the left, look to the right, then look to the left again, because they're missing crucial detail. All, all they're looking at at the moment, and I know it's brilliant formation, but all they're ensuring at the moment is there's not a resistance terrorist on the back of the helmet of the stormtrooper that's in front of them. And, you know, you've got to think that's one of the least likely places they would turn up. And, of course, that is not a critique of the film. That is just some goofy Star Wars fan banter. Then they are faced by some uh, stormtroopers. And then Ray pulls out the old Jedi mind trick with the drop your weapons. And I think this scene is a uh, pretty cool... I could see how people wouldn't like how it pans out, but I I love it. Um, the whole, thank goodness you're here. Welcome, guys. They just seem so... They seem like they're in a warm bath. <laughs> and maybe being under a Jedi mind trick is like a warm bath after being a First Order trooper. So um, I hope they enjoyed it. I hope they enjoyed it. I, 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 I sure did. Then Ray and Poe shoot some cameras, which I, I, I hope... I know it, that's very Star Wars New Hope. Um, but I hope they didn't do it the whole way as they went. Because although there wouldn't be video f camera of them, you could just follow the trail of blown out uh, cameras, really. Just whatever camera's fuzzy. That's the way they went. But uh, it did give them a chance as far as a, uh, a, a logical... Um, reason why they could stop and have a little chat because Ray had felt the dagger on board and knows that she needs it to find the Wayfinder or she just needs it for something to save the galaxy. Very important. And who can blame her? Then this chapter ends with them running into Chewie's jail cell or torture cell and they were all very happy to see each other again. Now, um, there was some concept art of Chewie. I don't know if this was from the Terrio Star Wars concept art 
or the J.J. Abrams concept art. But there was a shot, I feel like it must have been, it feels like it would be from the J.J. one because like it's from a scene that we actually see. So let's assume it is. Um, it's a Chewbacca in the uh, torture rack and he's leaning out on this really awkward angle and Kylo Ren's there talking to him, torturing him. And I, I did see some people online sort of bemoan that this wasn't in the film. But at this point, like, you've got to soften old Kylo Ren a little bit. And because at the end of the film, he's going to be redeemed back to Ben Solo and kiss our hero, Ray. Whether or not that kiss was meant to be in there when they were filming this or not, who knows? The end of this film, there is so many, um, you know, rumours and, 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 and then conspiracy theories on top of rumours and then rumours on top of them, conspiracy theories on top of them. That um, of, of how the ending was. But anyway, my point being that if anything, like one of JJ's mistakes with this conclusion, which, which seemed sort of like the inevitable conclusion of the series, was possibly making Kylo too hard in episode seven. Because one of the major complaints or arguments against Kylo and Ray or Ben Solo and Ray being romantically involved is the scene where he tortures her and, and takes stuff from her mind. I feel like him doing that was far too aggressive for a lot of people to accept them getting together at the end. And if this was the plan to have them together at the end of the trilogy or have some sort of, you know, romantic or healing thing between them. I think JJ turned up the volume too much on how evil he was to her in the first movie. I feel like people would be far more accepting of it if, he did it, he got the information about where Luke Skywalker was and all that sort of stuff that he reads from her mind if he did it in a far more passive way like Vader did to Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi. The whole sister, sister. Like it didn't have that, um, you know, it was all the battling they were doing in with their sabers that was the aggression in that scene. So I, I feel like they made the mistake in the first one by making him, you know, like assault her in, in some people's minds, like some people just go, well, it's star Wars and, and that's, you know, that's just the universe they're in. But anyway, you want to have the most amount of people watching the film agree with your choices. And I feel like turning up the volume on that was, you know, you, you kind of lost 25% more people on that story choice. That said, I do think there are people that would hate it no matter what, and they'd just go to the next reason why it shouldn't happen. But I do know uh, many 
far more rationally thinking fans that are put off by it um, purely based on how Kylo treated Rey in The Force Awakens. So it's... Oh, in, in, in retrospect, I really... And we'll talk about this later on far more, I'm sure. But I think the experiment of letting each director write his own film... I don't, I don't think it worked because they made a ton of cash, but the three films seem so disjointed, far more than, to me, anyway, um, the other two trilogies. What, what do you guys... I find that hard to... Um, I find that hard to argue. But here we are. Of course, I agree with myself. Anyway, that's the end of that scene, and it's just a middle of the road, some ups, some downs, and I will give that a three. All right, this pretty succinct chapter, which I call Recaptured, uh, begins with Pride discovering uh, Oshie's ship on board, and then we get sometimes new shots in Star Wars, new angles a, a bit jarring. Um, we'll, we'll talk about uh, later on when I, I don't like the way they pan on the Luke Skywalker Force Ghost. Uh, there's something about panning on the Force Ghost where it's like, I guess, graphically impressive that they can do that now. But I don't know. I just like it flat. But we'll talk about that later on. But um, this new shot, which is sort of like the, it was in one of the trailers and it's like a steady cam shot where the cameraman's running backwards and Poe, Finn and Chewbacca are sort of just running down the hallway of the Star Destroyer, just blasting stormtroopers as they go. Um, just, I, I'm not even here to think about how logical that is because in A New Hope, C-3PO and R2 just walked across a, uh, a, a hallway of lasers. So it's an establishing shot in the movie. So stuff happens in Star Wars. But that shot is, it's so good. Just watching them just clean house and, ah, love it. Very, very good. Then we get more troopers coming around the corner. Poe gets blasted. You don't really see where he's blasted. Finn turns around and screams, Poe! Goes down to help him. And in JJ's shortest fake-out death of the movie, it pans down to Poe and he's just a little bit wounded and then surrounded by First Order troopers. Poe then casually says, Hey, fellas, in a, um, a very relaxed pose, um, but a, a pretty good line. And a stormtrooper says, Shut up, scum. So, yeah, I uh, enjoyed that, uh, you know, basic but very fun chapter. And I'm going to rate that one a four. All right, in this chapter, we start off in Kylo's chamber. As Ray walks in and sees Vader's helmet and is rightly just staring at it, a little bit shocked. Sweet, melted helmet, Kylo. Way to decorate. I guess... She would... Everyone knows what Darth Vader looks like in the galaxy, yeah? That would be very bizarre to see that in um, your rival's chamber. 
Melty, Melty Helmet from Granddaddy. Just pretty normal thing to have when you think about it. She then picks up the dagger and gets some faint memories of her parents. And then Kylo appears. Now, visually, this scene with half of it taking place on the Star Destroyer and the other half on Kamiji. Kamiji? Ah! Um, and the way it sort of folds in on each other when they like walk around. Oh, such a good effect. Such a good effect. I, I know when there was rumours that they were going to be sort of travelling through space in some form fighting. Um, I thought it would be... I actually pictured it more like hyper-skipping, hyper-space skipping than what happened. But how they they do this and, and, and put the two sets together and make them sort of bleed together is very well done. I, um, I really enjoy that. Um, Kyle says that he knows the rest of the story and that Ray has to search her memories and then Saber's clash. There is so much Saber clashing in this film, which I, I think is an unintentional like one of the very faint complaints I felt like about The Last Jedi was the lightsabers didn't actually hit each other. There wasn't a lightsaber duel. And I kind of think there's an asterisk next to that one because, I first of all, I, I'm not a fan of, of Star Wars checklists. And second of all, there was combat with a lightsaber. Um, whether you consider the the Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker one. Um, I, I, I sort of just, I kind of think it counts. They don't hit each other. And then, you know, the throne room, like, I, I will take that over another lightsaber fight any day. Like, just to have that as, like, two people with lightsabers fighting, like, like highly trained forces like that. And also like two that, you know, when they um, started fighting together, it was, oh, it was so cool. Um, also a part of the, uh, the, the cross sets that is super sick is Ray swings her lightsaber and hits a basket of berries down on the planet and the berries spill over into um, Kylo's Star Destroyer. It's, Ah, love how that's done. He then cuts to Pride saying that our hero is going to be terminated on the Star Destroyer. Um, Goes back to Kylo and Rey and sort of goes into Kylo, sort of explains a bit of the convoluted backstory with what the Emperor wanted with Rey. And says that the Emperor sent Oshi to capture Ray, but Ray's parents wouldn't say where she was. And then they have her saying, the mom, sorry, saying she's not on Jakku, which I reckon that's a fair hint she might be on Jakku. Just, I'm just saying, I'm just, I would go back and I would check that out, Oshi. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would look into that, buddy. I, I, you know, you're the expert out there. You're the Jedi hunter, but that's what I would do. Then they lightsaber duel a little bit more and both swing and smash the Vader helmet. And Kylo Ren doesn't get upset about his collectibles getting smashed one bit. He's just happy to know where Ray is. And he says, I'll come and tell you about why the Emperor wanted her. Wanted her dead or alive. It kind of changes. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I feel like even if there's reasons why it changes, it should have just been captured the whole time because it's, it's just, it's convolute, it's convolution to the story. Um, like, like even like if there's a web that can be unwoven to explain, it's like, well, he, she wanted him dead here because of this and this and that. And blah, 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 blah. I, it's it just it should be clearer um, to someone just watching the film for the sixth time without trying to um, dissect it too much. So anyway, even though that during the conversation with Ray and Kylo, I was sort of dreading where they were getting to with um, the reveal to Ray, I have to give it up for that effect. Like how they have that conversation, that lightsaber battle is an excellent addition to Star Wars. Um, really freshens it up and also it, it's such a good device to have the, um, you know, the two, the hero and the villain, um, the two adversaries for this time, you know what I'm talking about, um, interact all through the film. It, it works as a great device to do that. Instead, like, they're not just, like, talking to each other on a, on a, um, a transmitter or something, or, or with their mind. It, it actually, it makes it, so much more like immediate it's really cool so given that i love that part of the scene so much we're cranking out a four for this one guys a four hey guys our super popular chicago sports reference t-shirt is back in stock on steelwars.com or merchostore.com our Michael Jordan logoed Darth Maul tribute has been super popular and we just got some back in to fill out some back orders and there is a limited amount of extra stock in black and a brand new red print on white t-shirt colorway which came up super sick. Plus, this month on MerchoStore.com buy any two Steel Wars t-shirts and together... The checkout total will be $29.95. So uh, buy the first tee and get the other one for 5 bucks, which is pretty sweet, while also supporting the podcast you're listening to right now. Check it all out in the show notes, steelwars.com and merchostore.com. Now, back to the show. In this next chapter titled, I'm the Spy, 
We've got our three heroes. Finn, Poe, Chewbacca about to get assassinated. Not assassinated. Um, executed. By... <laughs> Have we ever had an assassination? I guess they made um, Sheev pretended like it was an, assassina- an assassination attempt on his life. But... Has there... Oh, no, I get Padme. Padme with the, the, those creepy worms. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, and they tried to blow up her at the start of the film as well. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking of like the the JFK video, but in Star Wars. That was my entire... Um, I, I forgot assassinations could be stuff other than going slowly in a vehicle. Um, what am I talking about? I'm the spy. Um, Poe wants to know what Finn was going to tell Ray. And then the blasters go off and Hux says, I'm the spy. It cuts to 3PO meeting up with Ray. 3PO says, my first laser battle. Now, we're entering the the law of diminishing returns with these jokes. Like the, the first ones were bangers and now it's just like, let it go, dudes. You've like, you've drained it. You're not adding it. <laughs> anyway, um, still one of 3PO's best films. And this is so interesting. I love um, how, I want to know the thought process in how the figures of 3PO for this film have the bowcaster and the bandolier. And, and people thought it was like, especially with the red eyes. Is that, was that to mislead people? That's so interesting. Because I know seeing him with the red eyes and then seeing him like the figure with the bowcaster and, and the bandolier, I was like, oh, he's going to go, like crazy, like Terminator. Um, but all he did was like hold it and, and do his little C-3PO jog down the, the hall till he met back up with Chewbacca. Um, so, yeah, I wonder, were they just like, we just need something to make him different in this film, to make as a figure. He came with Babu Freak as well, yeah? Babu Freak, that's, that's all you need. Jeez. Um, but if it was, um, merchandised to aid to a misdirection with the red eyes, touche, touche, well done, well misdirected, consider me directed miss, Mr. Misdirected. Then as, uh, our heroes run along the corridor, the Falcon is is revealed through the portal. They're um, sort of above on a, on a gantry or a, a corridor that's up there. And this very subtly, I maybe not so subtle, but lovely. I enjoyed it so much. Call back to when Han, I mean, um, Leia and Luke saw the Falcon through um, the window in a new hope it was yeah it was it was a 
like I, I think it was a callback. I think it, to me it seemed like a pretty deliberate one, but very enjoyed. Good use of the license. I enjoyed that little flutter of um, remembering how cool it is to discover the Falcon, something that um, you know JJ did to amazing effect in the Force Awakens. One of the coolest things ever. Um, so yeah. Good vibes, having the Falcon revealed like that. And sort of, um, I got to give props to how they wrote it. So they they landed in the Falcon, then they lost the Falcon, and then they, they get the Falcon back. You know, perfect happenstance, but it's uh, I like it. They're all back in the Falcon again. Good to see. That's what I like. Then... Hux says, um, you got to shoot me in the arm. So it looks like you, um, you escaped and Finn points his blaster down. And is it just me? Every time I'm worried, he's going to put the future of, um, any future little Huxtables getting, um, getting born. But no, he goes down and shoots him in the leg and Finn asks why he did it or why are you helping us or whatever? And he says, I'm not helping you. Or no, I don't want you to win. I need Kylo Ren to lose. Which I know some people didn't, that was like a real sticking point with them with the film, but I think that's, you know, he's obviously crazy. And for him, like he hates Kylo Ren so much that he just wants him out of the way so he can, um, you know, sit in, you know, let's face it, I, I feel like he's always going to be like second or third place in the first order um, and and sort of get his little first order on without that, that dreaded Kylo Ren messing things up for him, making him look a fool. But I think it's a pretty fine little filler chapter. Filler. It's a filler chapter on your Blu-ray menu. But it's sort of stitching together... Um, sort of where the story goes next and I had a good time. I had a great time. Going to go for four. Okay. Um, this next chapter I've titled The Reveal. Kylo and Ray are in the docking bay. Stormtroopers are surrounding. Ray demands, why did the Emperor want to kill me? He explains because he had foreseen what you would become. That you have his power. You're his granddaughter. You're a Palpatine. Now, the first time I watched this scene, I laughed out loud in cinema at just how gobsmacked I was of this. Um, out of everything I've ever not liked in Star Wars, every character design and, and blinking Ewok and when Jar Jar was like way too goofy um, the clone troopers not being real in Attack of Clones, all my little gripes. Nothing has 
like truly bummed me out more about Star Wars. Anyway, close to the decision to go with this. Um, I know after the film came out, Chris Terrio said they did that as it was the most interesting thing to do with her backstory. I just feel like you could write the exact same film pretty much and not like the relation thing is just, and it's just a total backflip. Like I know there's this passage about Ray in um, Amy Ratcliffe's um, women of the galaxy book about how Ray coming from no one shows that anyone can be a hero or anyone can change the world. Anyone. Some people will argue, well, what about this? The message is that doesn't matter who your parents are. If your parent, like your lineage, you can go your own way. And it's like, yeah, but like how many like people with evil grandparents or parents is this applying to? Mm. The, the message that you can come from, you know, we had like the bloodline of the Skywalkers and then to flip it and say, or you can be not related to anyone because, you know, I, I feel like inheritance of stature and wealth is, um, you know, a big problem in uh, today's world. Um, and so I sort of thought it was cool to inspire people that um, came from or were coming from inverted commas, nothing, you know, this part of the Star Wars fairy tale would be using an archetype of them in the story. I thought that was real cool. I feel like it's like convoluted how it's like even the lines of like, you're his granddaughter, you're a Palpatine and they have to, like I, I always, I would always say why it wouldn't be an Obi Wan because then you had to explain, like, like it's going to be a granddaughter, and then you have to explain, and then the 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 parents did this, and that's what they did. It was so, I, I like I, it, how it came out felt like something that I joked about on the podcast, like four years ago or three years ago or something, but. Yeah, a real, real kick to the gut. I um, really disappointed in um, that they went that way. And I do know and acknowledge that people just love connections. Like that's what that's one of their favorite things about Star Wars. But I just find this one so forced. And I know some people don't even have... They, they they don't care how jammed in the connections seem. They just love that it's all, like, all netted together. But that's not for me. Um, then Kylo Ren follows up with... What he doesn't know is that we're a dyad in the Force. Um... We are two that are one. What? What? (laughs) Like, I understand because I've read about um, the Oracle scene and 
the dyad and the force that was explained there. But it's very confusing that, like, it's just this whole, like, dynamic to the story that, you know, for me, for how I view it, it's just like classic JJ where he chops, like, he streamlines things not knowing that some of the things later on are now more confusing. Now you've sort of taken out the setup for them. And it bugs me that Palpatine, who's like this master manipulator of the galaxy, like the, his plan in the prequels is brilliant and, and almost works perfectly. Um, he couldn't have foreseen, well, he, he didn't foresee what would, um, what would happen. So for him to sort of stumble into that dyad thing at the end, and then that makes him reconstruct into the, I don't know, like a, a, I don't even know what happens at that bit where he sort of becomes more whole to the, um, to the emperor and starts walking around and we'll have to wait and see, but does he get a new outfit during that metamorphosis? It's, he's quite the caterpillar. That one. But I don't know. I don't know whether he does get a new outfit, but I hope I remember to check. Um, Yeah, very uh, confusing. Then Kylo says, you know what you need to do, which um, reminiscent of Han saying that to Kylo in The Force Awakens. And Rey says, I do, or something to that effect. And the Falcon turns up and pulls its Falcon Tuckus in, blowing all the First Order troopers over. And, like, this bit is sick. Like, the Falcon pulling up and then engineering all the uh, troopers over, Kylo Ren sort of using his strength to stay up as much as he can, and then Rey doing that leap into space um, and then landing on the ramp, which... Let me think. Oh, they're in the atmosphere. They're in the atmosphere of um, Kamiji. So that's how that works out um, without, you know, people's heads not being able to breathe and stuff like that. But, like, that bit is epic, amazing. They go into hyperspace. But it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Uh, This DVD menu chapter is, like... I now, one of my hopes going in to uh, The Rise of Skywalker was that I hoped that it would make me not only love itself, but appreciate the other films more, like the other films more, enhance them. And I'm now officially less annoyed by C-3PO in both The Droid Factory and um, the, uh, the Geonosian Arena, because... This was bad um, for me. It 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 was it was like it was a real kick to the gut, um, and I was sort of like I felt like I had, like had a Star Wars concussion for the rest of the movie. It was I was just like what, um, and yeah, zero buys and a score. Of zero. Have to go a zero. First ever zero. Hopefully the last ever zero. 
but yeah, it like, like I did have to concentrate on how am I going to deal with this? I'm so, um, disappointed by this. And, and I guess this is what this whole project is about is, is part of me like getting my head around that I love so many bits in this film, but there's this gaping thing in the middle that just, Oh man, I, um, I wonder what my overall vibe would be if they did just decide to, we're just going to make the thing that the emperor wants her for is that he's known the whole time that they're a dyad in the force. So he's been plotting to get them together this whole time. That's why he had Snoke there. Um, and that's why he had Oshi. Like that seems like such a better plan. I know I'm biased, but if the Emperor knew that there was a diet in the Force and he knew that Princess Leia's son was one of them and then this scavenger on Jakku was another, well, maybe that would explain why he had that secret base there in the uh, Chuck Windig book. Um, maybe that's why the Church of the Force was there, because they've heard it as well. Why were the Church of the Force there? Can anyone tell me that in the comments on Patreon? That'd be awesome. Um, So he was doing the long thing while he rebuilt his empire and worked on becoming whole again. Oh, I love this so much better. And and just so much better is I, I just don't hate it. Um, but I actually think it's cool. Um, I think it would work. I think it would have worked. What, what, what do you guys think about that? Um, so if he knew the whole time and he's been manipulating for the, the you know, pun intended end game of getting them together to, so he can come back to life. And this has been his plan the whole, like, cause him reforming, into like his normal, like a, a reanimated self, whatever, has been that he knows he has to get these two people. And for the past, you know, 20 years, he's been plotting to do that. Like, that's classic Sheev, man. Classic Sheev. And I guess, like, Is that, is Ray being related to Palpatine more, inverted commas, interesting than that? He doesn't love a 20-year plan, man. It's great. And then he would have had it not just like half of it and then he stumbles. Like he, he's, he's, he's pretty much Jar Jar at the end of this stumbling into um, a path to victory. Uh, you know, and one of the things that I, there's too much tripping over in The Phantom Menace. I, I, it, both Anakin and Jar Jar both stumble into things at the end. I'm just um, just rambling here. But um, I don't like stumbles. And I feel like Sheev, like the master manipulator, is all of a sudden just like, oh, diet. 
Uh, I got fingers again. Yeah. Could throw up my west side, west west of the galaxy in the uh, unknown regions. Is it west? Do they have west in Star Wars? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Oh. Coming up with that alternate storyline is just making it more painful. But, you know, it's just a film and... The series is amazing. I love it dearly. And like, I feel like it's, you know, it's an, I don't want the experience, but it is an interesting experience to see how I deal with this thing that I love so much. And then there's this thing I don't like. And then, you know, I, I, I find all that very curious um, with what people like and dislike about, the films and, and how they react to it. And I'm reacting to this again, fat zero, such a zero, zero, no bias. And I'm not even going to get into the JJ checklist of complaints about the last Jedi getting checked off in this scene. Because this is a giant one. Giant tick. Tick off the list. It explains um, totally how she was so powerful. We can all sleep at night knowing full well why. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Zero. Okay, the next chapter I've titled Man Down. Now, during this time, during my first viewing, I was heavily into my Star Wars concussion, but um, I have recovered, so hopefully I will be able to review this chapter with uh, a sound mind and body. It starts with Hux explaining what happened with the uh, Resistance captives and pride just grabs the blaster and shoots him and the bounce he does down the um down the deck it's pretty good <laughs> like when Hux gets shot in the tum tum um he does a great i guess um he had a pretty good bounce in... Uh, he's a very bouncy character because he had that chin slap in The Last Jedi, which was so brutal. And uh, this one's even worse because it's the end. It's the end of Hux. And and, and Pride um, with uh, his... Say, we've, uh, we've found the spy. It's pretty slick. It's pretty slick. Then it cuts to 
Ray and Finn fixing the landing gear. There's a, there's a quick scene with Poe, but whatever. It's not much happens in that. Just they establish that the landing gear is not working. Then Ray is muttering about how he killed Palpatine, killed his her sorry mother and father, and doesn't really spend any time we'll see how this pans out just about the revelation like the revelation that she's focused on is that palpatine ordered the kill on the parents when the audience the revelation they're thinking about is that palpatine's the grandfather so yeah, I, I, I find that a little bit odd. And Ray has the, the, the pretty cool line of uh, people keep telling me they know me, I'm afraid no one does. Um, nice and ominous. Then we cut to Palpatine scolding Kylo Ren about uh, the Jedi Apprentice still lives. Again, I don't know. I, I do find it's a little odd that she he doesn't reference her as the granddaughter. Are you in denial of um, who you're trying to kill, Sheev? Um, and again, it, it's sort of like he's such a master manipulator and his the best end for him is not to have her killed, is to uh, have her come to uh, Exegol and I wish that was the driving thing the whole time to get them together so he could uh, re-emerge a fully formed sheave. Um, oh. Uh, oh. I'm going to give this one a two. It's a two. And don't worry, guys, I, I definitely know if uh, this is bringing you down, there are some chapters coming up that I absolutely love. So uh, don't get bummed out. Hang in there. We, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be uh, hitting some positive scores soon enough. Soon enough. And our next chapter is Arrival at Kif Beer. And if that's how you say it, I think it is. Something like that. The planet next to uh, Endor, neighboring of the Endor system. Um, where the Death Star landed. But as far as the, the revelation goes that uh, a chunk of the Death Star landed on this planet given the explosion in Return of the Jedi, I'm fine with it. A little bit of uh, artistic explosion license there. Um, you know, when you see the explosion in, in, in both its versions. The uh, pre-special edition, and which I I am I'm pretty partial to the uh, the special edition explosion. It doesn't look like a, a chunk of the Death Star could come off, but as long as you guys, they never change the explosion again to show chunks coming off. I'm fine with it. I'm at peace with it. It's fine. It's Star Wars. A chunk of the Death Star landed on that planet. I, um, I'm sort of glad in the end that it wasn't the, wasn't Endor, that, uh, Endor wasn't getting showered 
with debris. Uh, Will of the Force. Maybe, maybe we can write a little book or a comic that X-Wing fighters and um, rebellion ships, they they shot down, they defended any debris coming down on Endor. Because those X-Wings were up in the air. So there you go. Bloody poetry. I feel like I'm... I'm solving some good Star Wars problems today. Maybe not. But maybe. Let me know. I could be going a little bit crazy of this format of podcast. It is very strange. But we will continue. Jaina is uh, shown on her space horse throwing up her, like, um, tracker, which you know, calls back to the guy up on that crazy tower in A New Hope. So a little bit of an original trilogy callback. And I love this one. Nice and subtle, but I still get a, a little bit of a warm glow. Star Wars. We point things at ships as they land for some reason. Radars. Who needs them? Cameras. Spare me. Waste of time. And that's how it should be. Star Wars. So good. So good. Now, for some reason, the Falcon is shown... It it skids as it lands, which I'm not sure why, given that normally when it lands, it comes down vertically. But I guess they had to uh, visually show the audience that uh, the Falcon couldn't fly for a uh, a certain reason, and that's why they were trying to fix it. And again, I'm not sure why, on a similar note, the Falcon couldn't just take off again vertically like it normally does without the landing gear and just fly over to the Death Star wreckage. Like, time is of the essence. So wouldn't you just do it? Maybe, I don't know, is there another thing that's woven in that they wouldn't be able to take off again? I don't know, but um, it is. It's. I, I'm. I'm. I just have to go with it because <laughs> it's not that big a thing. But I still have to uh, '90s nerd out a little bit. I, I find that such a, a '90s nerd way of thinking, and I apologise to any fellow '90s nerds that um, I offend with these remarks. As our heroes arrive at the shoreline looking at the Death Star, Ray remembers the uh, translation of the dagger, uh, pulls it out, holds it up, and it reveals with the little pinpointy thing, which has got a little red dip. Is that like the end of, like the little cross guard of, of the dagger's got a little red dip? Is, is that blood from one of the parents? Because if so, gross. But um, she pulls that out and finds that bit of the wreckage that the uh, the Death Star matches up with. And it's... I, I could do with a little bit more purpose to why she pulls that out right then and right there. Like, um, like maybe if there was some symbol there, um, some like old stone thing that's been etched into a, a Sith logo. That would be something if they, they talk about that Sith logo that's on the uh, old speeder, Oshi speeder. 
if if that was there somehow, or it was maybe it was burnt into the ground. Um, but I, I I feel like it is one of those like you can say it's will of the force and all that. But how does everyone else? How is everyone else going to um, find it without the will of the force or the Sith? Um, maybe it was the the will of the Sith in the end that no one else was ever going to get there except Ray, which is um. I don't know. That's uh, it's not to my taste. It's not to my taste. The cool thing about uh, these scenes, for me at least, is these were some of the scenes that were leaked in early photos. That were they on? Um, I don't know if there were some that were posted on TMZ, um, but they had the uh, photos of of Jaina and Poe and Finn on that uh, grassy knoll with the, the horsies that had little markers on them for uh, their CGIing. And we were like, ooh, space horsies. They're coming. They're coming. What a leak. Love the space horsies. Do we even, we don't, have we got a space horsey toy as yet? Oh, man. I know the action figure industry is shrunk dramatically compared to the, the good old days which were any days before the action figure market horribly shrinking, horribly shrank. But, oh man, if this was any other era, we'd be, we'd be enjoying our KB Toys Space Horsey repaint. That's what we'd be doing. Um, there'd be a 12-inch action collection, Space Horsey, with Jaina. Um yeah, and that's just the the nature of the toy industry as it stands now. But um, a little bit sad, you know? Not that I would buy it, but I like its existence. <laughs> and it makes all my friends very happy. I, I am shocked at how happy um, buying lots of merchandise makes a fair few of my friends. That is a lot of purchases mentioned on these podcasts, you guys. A lot of purchases. But sadly, no Space Horsey. The, the funny thing about my uh, thought that there should be some sort of marker to where they should hold the uh, dagger up actually comes from, and I'm going to narrow the audience here that are going to understand what I'm talking about. In the late 80s, there was a skateboarding film called The Search for Animal Chin. And this featured pro skateboarders like Tony Hawk in his uh, younger days. And not only did they skateboard in it, but they acted. like they were, It was sort of like um, like a, a movie with a storyline, but then it would showcase them skateboarding at all these spots. And they were getting directions to this crazy ramp, and it was they had to look south from Guadalupe, and, and they didn't know what that was, and it was meant to be in between two junkyards. And they had no idea what they were meant to be looking for. But then they see this giant stone skateboard that had Guadalupe um, etched into it on the mountain. And they notice the two junkyards. They look and they find the giant ramp. Now, we know that J.J. Uh, Abrams and Chris Terrio referenced a, a lot of other Star Wars films. And um, Star Wars films often reference a lot of other films and one actually mid thought thought one actually interesting critique 
of um, the sequel trilogy was that The Last Jedi, with like its bomber scene and stuff like that, it was referencing, like George Lucas did, films nothing to do with science fiction or, um, you know, just other genres of films and bringing that into Star Wars. And Ryan Johnson did that um, a few times in The Last Jedi, including the um, that bomber scene. But JJ's one's more than reference other genres of film or other scenes in other films, reference other Star Wars films. Now, you might be able to argue points that totally dispel that, and I am up to hear them. But uh, an interesting thought, nonetheless. And yes, so, J.J. Abrams, Chris Terrio, I wish one of the films they were referencing in The the Rise of Skywalker is The Search for Animal Shin. An amazing bit of camp 80s entertainment with some, um, at the time, cutting-edge skateboarding. Very, very enjoyable, if you want to check that out. Now, um, Ray points out where the Wayfinder is, and then Jaina and her um, her fellow escaped stormtroopers rock up in their space horses. And Jaina says this odd line that Babu Freak had contacted her to let her know that they were coming and that raised the last hope. I just find that so random compared to like how Babu Freak, he just, the character I got, it just didn't seem like he was then going to do that. Of course he did come back at the end and um, rode a shotgun with um, Zori Bliss, but, but who wouldn't, you know? Um, but yeah, I found that such an odd line that Babu Freak messaged ahead. So weird. Anyway, uh, C-3PO, upon hearing Babu Freak, says, Babu Freak is one of my oldest friends. And 3PO is hot again. He is funny once more, continuing his great run through the, uh... The Rise of Skywalker. It's one of our one of my oldest friends. Is um, that's pretty good. That is pretty pretty good. But overall, I find this scene it has got good bits, but it's confusing with the way the dagger um is just randomly known to get used and with how other people be able to, you know, we went all through that. So I'm, I'm just going level with this one and it's getting a three. Oh, I should point out that, um, the line where Poe says about the, the landing, I've seen worse. And Jaina says, I've seen better. It's pretty sweet, pretty sweet. And when, uh, they mentioned that we don't have the time, it seems um, odd that this is all happening in 17 hours. Again, sometimes just don't mention time. Don't mention periods of time in Star Wars. George didn't, and, and probably more often than not, neither should you. Time. Don't do it. 
All right, the next chapter titled Jana and Finn has uh, Dio and BB-8 playing a little bit of horse around with the uh, space horses. And uh, it's, I can, this, this, this does flare up my uh, JJ alert, but it's fine. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a nice little comical bit. I actually like seeing the droids interacting in like a real life set. And, um, like I always liked um, R2-D2 and C-3PO on Endor because, um, I don't know, I, just, I thought it was a good visual to have the robots in just just our little hills. Do you know what I mean? I can pretend next time I'm on a hilly field that uh, that could be Kif Burr. We go inside the Falcon, C-3PO laments if this is like it is for these guys every day. Little does he know, you guys. That's just on the... Uh, of, of C-3PO humor. And then we go to a very interesting discussion with Jana and Finn as um, Finn realizes that there's parts of First Order and then Jana says, tells the story about how her and her company all laid down their guns when they were ordered to fire upon some villagers. Now, the explanation she gives for this, that her and all her troops just had a a feeling of the force. And, like, that's, like, kind of cool. But, again, at this point in the film, do we want to introduce the concept that lots of other people are force-sensitive in the story and not follow up on it at all, or, as I would have gone, that Jana said that they were faced with a similar situation. The story had spread about the stormtrooper that refused to kill villagers and it had gone on to join the resistance, and when they were faced with that like make-or-break moment, they couldn't do it. Because Finn had inspired them, the legend of Finn. Like, and that enhances Finn's decision at the start of The Force Awakens and sort of shows a, a growing momentum of our hero's actions. Both Luke Skywalker, Finn, Ray, they're inspiring the rest of the galaxy to do good things as well. I, I'm sure there are people that, that like the feeling that the Force uh, swept over them, but it's. I, I I feel like saying it's the Force. Oh, okay, lots of other people got the Force. This is just my reaction compared to like something that Finn did, like like two movies ago that maybe we like a lot of fans hadn't thought of that like that thing behind the scenes was happening with the first order troopers talking about it and it's sort of making them think about it, which also reflects back to that um, deleted scene where Phasma, Finn reveals to the first order troopers that Phasma let them free at the end of the force awakens. This scene is in the last Jedi or it was deleted from it. And then Phasma kills the stormtroopers she's with because they sort of realize that she lied about letting those guys out to save her own. Like, you know, Starkiller base got blown up because she wanted to save her own skin. So I, I feel like that would have been 
like a really cool like sort of conclusion or part of the conclusion to um, Finn's story for now that uh, his actions years ago have had this ripple effect. I, I, I love the thought of that. It's so cool. But they didn't do that. They uh, they said the Force. And it was, you know, it was it was nice to hear about the Force. Um, I was waiting for Finn to say it's true, all of it. Um, I'm not sure if that would be too on the nose or I'd love it. It's, it's one of my favourite sort of Star Wars quotes of all time. But um, I'm going to go middle of the road on this one and keep it at a three. The next chapter, titled Big Wave Ray, starts off with BB-8 telling Podemron that he has not seen Ray. They run downstairs or down the hill. <laughs> I don't think there's stairs on the hill. And they look out to Ray out on a skimmer. Now, this skimmer scene and these wave effects are so good. Like, for me, they are amazingly photorealistic. I am sure doing waves and water is so hard for the special effects. But this, oh my God, this scene and, and like the effects intercut with her... Um, like on like a practical set of a, a skimmer in a pool or something, they, they would make Kevin Costner drink his own piss in celebration. Um, just A, A, A1. Great stuff. Um, just visually, I, I felt like water hadn't got enough action in Star Wars. So uh, I think, you know, we had some water in The Phantom Menace. And uh, we had some sweet rain action in Attack of the Clones. Oh, come on. Django versus Kenobi. What a battle. Um, But now we've got a big wave ray. So cool. Love it. Jaina announces that they have another skimmer that they can go out in, which always makes me think of another Bobka, which is a sweet Seinfeld reference Come at me. Um, Then Poe and Finn get in an argument where Finn says that he feels what is driving Ray, or she knows what, and so does Leia. And Poe says, well, I'm not Leia. And then Finn goes, that's for damn sure. Which is a ripper exchange. Love that. Uh, the camera angle like pans back or, or changes to a long shot of Poe standing in front of the uh, skidded Millennium Falcon and he turns around with a, a, a sigh of sorts. And it's uh, an awesome shot, actually. I, I really like that. So this chapter, loving it. Good action, good effects, good dialogue. We're giving that one a four. All right, in this next chapter titled The Climb, we open inside the Death Star wreckage, panning past a shattered TIE fighter with a smashed-up shuttle Tidarium class out on a, uh, a gantry all smashed. Woof. Good stuff. Good stuff. Like, this is sort of like the, the Star Wars concept art you see after a film comes out. 
and they didn't end up using the art, and you're like, oh, I would have loved to have seen that. So if I saw a concept art of this and it wasn't in the film, I'd be like, oh, oh I'd love to, would have loved to have seen that. Would have been great. Like, um, I think one of the coolest things, and, and would have sort of mixed up the uh, the visuals of the saga a little more, is if Jakku, was it Jakku? Or was it Mars's planet? No, it was Jakku, because there was all the smashed up um, adats and stuff. It was more of a swampy planet. Um, very uh, uh, unique sort of environment for a, a Star Wars film, but so much harder and expensive to uh, create than uh, the sweet, sweet deserts of Jakku. Then we go to Ray climbing up the wreckage, quite reminiscent of her opening scene in The Force Awakens. But now she's got the Force, so she can do sweet jumps across uh, wild caverns that she probably wouldn't have done beforehand. And then she makes it up to a corridor with a bunch of soaking wet or half-in-the-water stormtrooper helmets. Now, can you ultra-nerd yourself to wonder why there'd be a bunch of just helmets floating about out the front of uh, the Emperor's throne room? Sure you can, but it's a sweet visual. Love seeing the helmets there. Good on them. Good on your helmets. Sit there in the water for decades to come. A nice little fill-the-gap, visually uh, appealing visually tantalizing uh, chapter that I'm given a four. Then in the chapter titled Dark Ray, Ray walks into the Emperor's throne room. Great uh, music reminiscent of Return of the Jedi. And it's cool to see the Emperor's throne room all torn apart. And like, it's... Uh, it's rad that we get to see it again. It's it's fan servicey, but service me up. I'm enjoying this course, and uh, in the classic um, tradition of no Star Wars idea going unused. Of course, in the concept art for the Force Awakens, we had um, some art of possibly Rey swimming underwater to get something from the Emperor's throne room. So now the Death Star is just a little a bit above water to uh, serve the story. And here we are. Very cool. She, after hugging the Return of the Jedi very hard, the scene then shifts to give us a bit of an Empire Strikes Back embrace. Embrace. An Empire Strikes Back embrace. Back embrace. As um, a mysterious door opens up, she walks in, finds the Wayfinder. Now, um, what I would have loved here is not here, but in The Force Awakens. I always wanted something in that Force back to predict something in the future. So then when we watched, say, The Rise of Skywalker, and then we watched The Force back, it's like, oh my God, I never knew that was in the future. Quite lost-ish, where they had, you know, the flash forwards and you didn't know they were in the future or not. Um I thought that would have been really cool. Just if they put in some random thing or something that 
could possibly mean something later on. And then they're just like, yeah, we'll just include that. So just say, or even if they'd sort of scripted out or outlined the trilogy a little bit, they could have a, uh, a shot of, say, Ray grabbing the uh, Wayfinder and that was in, in the force back and we thought it was happening in the past. Anyway, just a little thing that would have, um, you know, because I'm the type of fan and I'm not sure if you are there. I, I like it when things genuinely connect or seemingly connect perfectly. Like the reveal that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father ties in to Uncle Owen's grumpy uh, lines at breakfast. Like the whole thing about like your father. Like that, it, it ties in so perfect. Thus also, no, I said thus, Yoda saying there is another ends up tying perfectly with uh, Princess Leia's reveal. It wasn't originally that, but it fits. It fits. Ray walks through the chamber, sees the Wayfinder, grabs that, and then we get the appearance of Dark Ray, who had the internet just chatting away very passionately when she appeared in the trailer. And I didn't really ever give it much of a thought that that could possibly be Ray. It always seemed like it was a vision at this point. And I, I always like when they were doing the little TV spots for um, the film when it was almost at, about to come out and they kept concluding it, all of them with the Dark Ray little clip. It was like, come on, guys. We, we know this isn't like a big part of the film. It's, it's obviously a vision, guys. Come on. Come on. Spare me. Spare me. But yeah, I, I just never really got that amped on it. I know a lot of people that like to costume, they were really excited because they had a, a basis for a Dark Ray or they'd already been cosplaying as, as a Dark Ray or a Dark Jedi and they were stoked to see a, uh, a similar costume featured in the film. But it's a uh, an interesting version of the cave where Luke saw his face in Vader's helmet. What is surprising or... Let's face it, unsurprising is very limited Dark Ray merch for how excited, um, you know, fans of that are. And it, it feels like it would be pretty uh, easy money. People would make a, a special purchase of that. We haven't seen any action figures of Dark Ray. But again, sign of the times, probably my 75th action figure lament of uh, this series. More to come, you guys. More to come. But in confronting the Dark Ray, Ray falls back and the Wayfinder slides back into the throne room where Kylo Ren is there to pick it up. A pretty intriguing chapter. Um, yeah, definitely had my full attention. I remember during this scene when I first saw it, just like so 
what happens next? What happens next? Is there going to be another little, like, what other information we're going to get out of this? So, um, gripping, gripping Star Wars here. And I'm giving that a four. In this chapter, I have titled, Look at Yourself, Ray ignites her lightsaber against Kylo Ren, who is holding the Wayfinder, and Kylo says, Look at Yourself, which I always find such a funny line. Just, it, it sounds like finding a friend, like, vomiting out the front of a party or something. It's like, look at yourself. What have you done? Hey? Now, Kylo Ren, we're entering some some very good Star Wars territory, says, um, you've been trying to prove to my mother that you're a Jedi, but you've proven something else. You can't go back to her now. Like, I can't. Now, I feel like this is such an intriguing theme of the movie that is done a disservice. Like, Ben, Kylo Ren, is staying bad because he feels like that's his only choice. After all he's done, he feels like he's got no hope at redemption. His mother would never take him back. So I'm just going to go with the dark side and try to take over the galaxy. Um, it's... I feel like, like for a kid, for a 10 or 12-year-old kid... Or for a much older kid analyzing these films and then recording um, a lot of podcasts about them, that is a great message that you can go back. Um, And if Ben was redeemed, which he is, in a Star Wars sense... Um, by the end of the film, and he also lived, that might be a clearer message for a child. And and I am, you know, this is my interpretation, and we we interpret Star Wars films, and as as people interpret art differently, but an interpretation of this message is, well, you can make things right, but you might not survive. So you can. Fix whatever you've done, but it, it, it could kill you, <laughs> which if you're a little kid might be a, a scary prospect. So you don't fix it. You just stay bad because that, that's the easiest thing to do. And again, that's just my interpretation. And I often, like with my interpretation of Ray not coming from anything or anyone, nothing anymore, her powers are through her bloodline. Like my expectation was the message of Star Wars for this trilogy was going to be that you can come from nothing and change the galaxy. Much like, as I talked about before, was said in that uh, Woman of the Galaxy uh, book that Amy Radcliffe wrote. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's all up to interpretation. But I, I feel like if that theme was pressed harder of 
I can't, I don't think I can go back, so I can't. And then he finds out he can, which it does happen, and he does. But then if he had a a bit more of a um, a less deathy ending, it might, as a fairy tale, be a bit more appropriate. But that's just my interpretation. And then he, he crushes the Wayfinder, so he has to go to Exegol, or she has to go to Exegol with Kylo Ren. And they then begin a lightsaber duel. Now, this one could be a five, but we don't get the payoff, in my opinion, for uh, Kylo Ren's very well-scripted lines. I feel like the, the, the conclusion does not do justice to this scene. So what could be a five gets down to a four. Now, in the next chapter, I've titled Leia, Dominic Monaghan realized something was wrong with Princess Leia back at Resistance Base and um, turns around. It then pans back onto Leia. She walks across screen. (laughs) And... You guys know, you've been listening, that I I have it out for uh, JJ's friends in this film. Uh, Due to my personal grudge, my light personal grudge against JJ for um, his uh, focus on the friends rather than Rose. Now, Rose doesn't speak, but Princess Leia walks across frame and hits the mark that makes Greg Gunberg in the background visible again in the shot. He sort of like walks across as she walks the other way to fill out the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get Greg in the film. I'm just, I'm just being a whinge guys but it's um it's pretty glaring it's um and pretty funny (laughs) if you've got this built-up grudge that i do now uh maz says to r2 that leia knows what must be done to um save her son and it will take all her strength as she gets helped out this is a tiny little chapter I kind of like the Maz Kanata bit. Um, of course, it's going to get scored down for having JJ friends unnecessarily uh, featured. If yeah, I'm not sure if you guys know, but Chris Terrio said that Rose wasn't... A lot of her lines got cut out in her scenes because the effects with Leia she was sharing them with didn't work. So, I don't know. I feel like if you know that, then like you're doing reshoots or you're... Like, you did a lot of takes. Just maybe, like, throw in some extra of that character that was such a a big part of the last film and also got a lot of um, unnecessary um, and and just, you know, hate, which is undue in any circumstance. Just, um, like, don't be seen. Like, put in some extra shots, some extra lines... So, like, it's clear that you're not lessening her role because of the feedback. 
So that, that, that's why the, these Dominic Monaghan and Greg Gunberg shots um, burn at me a little bit. But this scene, it's going to get away with a three. All right, this chapter is titled Waves and Sabres, and it is killer with Kylo Ren and Rey having a heated lightsaber duel on the wreckage of the Death Star as giant waves splash around. Now, um, my, my wife, Jackie, is uh, been surfing heaps lately. She's like really been getting into surfing, so we've watched a lot of surfing documentaries, and uh, we watched this one on big wave surfing made by Stacey Peralta. And I think it might be called Riding Giants or something, but Stacey Peralta, big wave documentary. And um, I, I I guess after watching all that footage of the giant waves, I'm, I'm just extra um, impressed with, with how good these effects are of these amazingly cool-looking waves. Now... This scene, I just love it. The lightsaber fight is in a fresh location. The the giant jumps that they do is just like it, it's like a Jedi battle that you've um, always wanted to see. That 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 shot of Kylo sort of jumping into the mist um, as Jaina and Finn look on. Ah, I, I, it's just like it's that, that sort of scene that. Or that sort of shot that, you know, you see a glimpse of and you're like, oh, I have to see this film. Then Ray does a sick giant backflip and then Kylo just walks through the water in just such an iconic shot of him uh, with the lightsaber coming out of the, the rainy mist. Then we get into a heated game of force saber grabbing. Excellent new lightsaber battling technique. Kylo Ren has Rey down and just before he can make the perhaps fatal blow, Princess Leia reaches out to him and he pauses. She utters Ben. Ben turns around. She collapses holding the Arvin medal. Kylo drops his saber. Or does Ben drop the saber? Ray catches it, stabs Kylo Ren, Leia collapses, R2 chimes. Amazing. Very well done, in my opinion. Ray feels Leia's collapse, instantly regrets what she had done to his son. Tears in her eyes heals Kylo Ren's wound. Tears in her eyes, so well acted, reaches out to heal Kylo Ren's wound. Thankfully, just the wound is healed and not the uh, hole in Kylo Ren's outfit. A subtle but awesome part of the healing is Kylo Ren's facial scar disappears, signifying the return to Ben Solo. Also, without the scar and the wet hair from the battle, he looks far younger and and more innocent. It's it's a good visual cue, 
much like Luke revealing that underneath his um, dark outfit in Return of the Jedi, there was light when pushed to shove. Ray then very emotionally says she wanted to take Ben Solo's hand and then runs off, jumps into Kylo Ren's TIE fighter, seemingly questions herself and what just happens, flies off into the mist as Finn and Jaina look on and the Falcon arriving in the background to pick them up. This is an amazing scene. Absolutely adore it. So well done. Um, wish it had led down a different path, which we'll discuss in um, the final episode of this podcast series. But this scene is so good. Big fat five. Big fat five. Then in our second last chapter of the second act titled... She's gone. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a little bit whew, choked up uh, reviewing this one. Um, we have the resistance all gathered round uh, Princess Leia's body. With uh, she's covered by a sheet. Um, I don't talk about the music much in um, my reviews, but Leia's theme is. Lightly playing underneath. Finn, Poe and Chewbacca arrive back at Resistance Base. They rush past Commander Darcy, who was um, one of the commanders from The Last Jedi. Good to have her back. Poe announces he needs to see the General and Darcy stops them saying that she's gone. And then our heroes all look at each other and... Oof. Chewbacca drops to his knees and lets out an almighty Wookiee bellow. A heartbreaking scene on several levels, as uh, you well know. And um, I, I, I sort of really wasn't sure how they would handle Princess Leia um, in this film. I would... Um, I'd listen to an argument or two that she should have survived the whole trilogy, even though the actress that played her, Carrie Fisher, did not. One potential very cool uh, storyline ending could have been Leia and Rey uh, training Jedis at the um, end of the film or, you know, Leia training with Rey assisting or the like. But I, uh, as far as them deciding that the character should pass, I think it was, it was beautifully done. It was it was really it was really touching and um, sad, which it should have been. We um, 
We need a chance to be sad now and then. In a good way. So, a um, a great scene and I'm um, going to have to give it a five. Going to have to give it a five. Earned my five. Um, it, 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 it brought out a lot of emotion in the film. All right, our final menu chapter of Act 2. I have titled Son of Solo. Kylo Ren ponders his past and his future as he looks out on a piece of Star Destroyer wreckage. He turns around and is met by the image of his father, the smuggler-turned-rebellion hero, Han Solo. There is a side shot of them, both standing on the wreckage, like a bit of a long shot that is just a thing of beauty. I, I know I, there was, I think, in the last one, the last Jedi teaser poster, not the last Jedi, the Rise of Skywalker teaser poster, it had um, Ray and Kylo sort of fighting on a similar piece of Death Star. and um, But this, with them just standing opposite each other. Whew. I, I, spoiler alert, you guys. I, I feel like this is one of the best Star Wars scenes ever. Ever. So good. I um, initially balked at the idea that uh, Harrison Ford was going to come back and play Han Solo in this film. I heard that um, well before the film had come out and it was sort of hard to imagine how... Like I, I sort of... It wasn't something that I was very confident in uh, especially in that I was very excited for Force Ghost Luke, and I was like, oh, "This is a lot of, it's a lot of dead speaking." Little did I know. However, it is written, shot, acted to perfection. I love this scene so much. Your son is dead. No. Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. Just, woo, good. Harrison delivering, like Harrison Ford and uh, Adam Driver back in another scene. Let's, let's rejoice. Let's soak it up. Woo, this is, oh, so good. Again, that message of, Kylo doesn't think he can go home. It's too late. She's gone after Han Solo says go home. Um, Again, on that theme that um, you can always go home. Um, And it's so well done here. I don't feel it gets like the payoff. The explanation that's dropped into the dialogue of how Kylo Ren can see Han Solo, how it's just a memory but then Hans always says, your memory. Um, very, very well scripted. Um, I, I find it so airtight. And I, I love my little bit of head canon. I'm not sure if this is like part of like real canon or not, but it's definitely there for the interpretation. Is that before Leia disappears uh, into the the Jedi nether regions, the Force nether regions or whatever, 
Um, nether regions. Is that down? Yeah, maybe I might be misusing that word. But you know what I'm talking about. But before she um, disappears, she's um, helping with uh, place this memory um, in Kylo Ren's head. And as I mentioned for the last chapter, how, or the one before that, sorry, how Ben Solo is now healed with the scar, his hair's all wet, he's soaking wet. It does make him look far younger. And him talking to his dad, the how they revise or reuse the line of um, how does it go? I, I, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it um, from The Force Awakens. I might be misquoting that. Brilliantly done. So good. And the great thing about this scene is just how much time it's it's given to breathe, which... You know, the other parts of the film we sort of don't talk about as much in this format because we're watching it chapter by chapter, but it is quite. So I, I, I can't say enough things that are good about this scene and how it sort of closes with Ben Solo saying, Dad, and, you know, you can you can work it out that he wants to say, I love you. And Han Solo doesn't make him say that he just says I know excellent Star Wars Ben Solo then throws the lightsaber with a hearty toss how I thought Luke Skywalker was going to throw it in The Last Jedi and I kind of feel like he should have, especially now, because it would, you know, ring theory around and they both were, um, you know, throwing sabers in a, a similar thing. They they ex- hit that saber throwing thing a bit later on. We'll get that to that on the next episode. But yeah, I always thought Luke should have given it a real hearty toss and then, um, you know, maybe Ray could have spent some time trying to retrieve it using the force or, or something like that. But I just the, the, I, I know the limp toss um, maybe didn't have the best effect. This, however, is brilliant. A amazing way to end the second act. Great Star Wars. A little bit... Bittersweet, admittedly, that I adore some of these chapters so much. And, um, but as a whole, I, um, it, it, it gets harder for me, but yeah, this scene, the best big fat five back to back fives. Now, uh, it's time to do some tallying. All right. We are back with the tabulations. I have entered them in. And to recap, in Act 1, we ended up with a possible high score of 85 with 61, which uh, averaged out to a 3.59 out of 5 rating, which, to be fair, we had to round up to 4. We had to round it up to 4. Now, this one, out of a... There's a few more chapters that we've included in here, so it's out of a possible 100 score... And Act 2 gets 69, which averages out as a 
four, five out of five, which together the two first acts of the film averages out at three point five two. So slightly over the threshold that would push it up to a four. Which means so far I um like the parts of the film much more than its whole. But um thanks so much for listening to episode uh, or the second part of this uh project. One more to go, Act 3. Looking forward to bringing it home and uh, seeing what the uh, end of the score is. It's been a lot of fun. I, it's been cathartic to talk this out. I'm sure it's for some people this is just so much blithering. But um, it's helping me, you guys. And I, a few of you have uh, reached out and I know it's helping you. But I'm really... Um, looking forward to hearing from people that really like the film with uh, how they find my critiques of the parts I did not like as much. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest Q&A as it's the the third. It's divisible by three. I think it's episode 75 of the Q&A series. Questions I have answers I give or questions you have answers I give that is a patreon uh, bonus all access and so that's on the regular feed for this week and we tackle a bunch of your thoughts about the first act of the film in the first act podcast if you are on the patreon uh, let us know what you think of what I thought or what you think of the second act of the Rise of Skywalker in the Patreon comments for this episode. And if you want to hear bonus content, you get a couple of uh, bonus episodes a week, as well as our full archive, including live comedy shows, movie commentaries, every interview full length for just $3 a month. And uh, this week there'll be another episode of Star Wars You by Podcast with Horst Burkhardt. Uh, recording that tomorrow. Very excited. There'll be another Q&A in the next day or two. And we'll get Robbo back on for... Um, we'll do another Robbo Report commentary. I think we're up to episode four of The Mandalorian. We've just been doing fan commentaries chatting along as we watch the movie it has been so much fun and don't forget as i sizzled mid episode um we have got our chicago sports reference t-shirts back in stock a uh, a limited amount to uh fill out some back orders we had and that is the uh the darth maul jordan tribute t-shirt the chicago sports reference and We've got a sale on at the web store where if you buy, normally the tees are like $21.95 or $24.95 depending on the print. But for the rest of February, they will be up. If you get two, 
the price will go down to twenty nine ninety five. So two t shirts for twenty nine ninety five, and uh, they are screen printed, not digitally printed. So the print will last forever. Just don't uh, throw them in the dryer. The t shirts are. High grade, it is what uh, many of the more popular surf and skate brands, higher end t-shirts use. They do not shrink and um, they're a great fit. Tube cut, so no side seams. We use some of the best blank t-shirts on the market and the uh, the screen printing uh, means that the prints last for a very long time. And We'll chuck in uh, a ton of free stickers as well. And if you just want stickers, we've got um, sticker packs with the uh, Chicago Sports Reference sticker just in as well. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, give us a tweet about it or share it on Facebook. Get on iTunes, write a sweet five-star review. Um, Thank you guys so much. So appreciated. And may that force be with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.